0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. This morning, turn open to the book of Matthew, chapter number 5, Matthew, chapter number 5 this morning. On the night of April 18, 1775, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, two of the Sons of Liberty, in Lex- Lexington, Massachusetts, um, these men were wanted by the British. The, the British were wanting to arrest them and try them, but they took refuge in the home of Pastor Jonas Clark, Pastor Jonas Clark. Through the course of the night, they discussed the, the possibility of the upcoming war and what was going to happen between the colonies and, uh, and Great Britain. Hancock and Adams, in the midst of the discussion, asked Pastor Clark whether the the local militia was prepared to stand against the seasoned troops of King George. Pastor Clark assured them that they would fight. Why? For he had trained them in the scriptural principles of liberty. Early the next morning on April 19th, 1775, the church bell rang out, signaling for the militia, including Pastor Jonas Clark and his male congregants from the Church of Lexington. Uh, So from his church, there were about 60 to 70 men and young boys that showed up on the lawn that morning, along with Pastor Clark, muskets in hand, ready to face the British as they came into town. And April 19, 1775, this is when what, what happened, uh, one of the famous sayings of the Revolutionary War, the shot heard round the world, happened this very day, April 19, 1775. Thus... The very first blood that was shed in the battle of the revolution for these United States of America was that of Christians who believed in the principles of liberty and freedom that they found right in the book of Romans and in the Bible as a whole. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 13, He says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth, thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to preach this morning just for a little bit on America, a city on the hill. America, a city on the hill. Jesus here referred to the light and the lamp, the candle. Now, an individual candle represents and stands for the individual testimony of of each child of God. If you're here today and you're saved by God's grace, then you ought to be a light to those around you. And if you're here and you're not saved by the grace of God, the Bible says that you're still in spiritual darkness. But what He wants to do is shine the light into your heart to show you your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as individuals, as Christians, we are lights, individual lights, individual candles, if you will. But then Jesus mentioned there in verse 14, "...a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid." Because the picture He's given in that is as a group of lights, a group of candles. Have you ever been driving through uh, the country late at night and you can just see a light shining up uh, into the air and you know that there must be a city, there must be something there? Well, folks, that's the picture that Jesus has given here. It's a picture, but this is a picture up on a hill that's lit up. That's collectively. That's God's people coming together collectively and being lights. For the, for the glory of, and honor of Almighty God. I'm preaching this message today, which is a very different type of message for me to preach, because uh, preaching about America. But what I'm just trying to tell you is that I believe that America is an example of people, Christians, who follow these very principles that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter number 5 to give us the country that we have today. And we live in a time the Bible says in Psalm 11 verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do? See, God's people have always God's people have always stood in the way of Satan's attempts to undermine the work of Almighty God and the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the message of the Lord because ultimately The the, the reason that I appreciate, uh, if if for nothing else, one of the greatest reasons I appreciate what those who helped found, found, found this country were able to accomplish is it allowed the gospel to be propagated around this country and around the world so that people could hear about what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished and come to know Him as Lord and Savior because there's nothing greater than that knowing that you have accepted Christ as your Savior. But Satan's agenda of division, you think about this, Satan's agenda has always been division and destruction. The Bible says in John ten ten, Jesus Christ said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants people to have life, liberty. He wants them to be able to pursue happiness. And that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, Satan's agenda is division and destruction. His aim is as broad as Christianity around the world and as narrow as an attack on the nuclear family. Now, what is nuclear family? We hear that terminology a little bit more and more in this day and age. It just simply means a mother and a father in a home raising children together. Who established that? God Almighty. In the book of Genesis, when He created Adam and Eve, when He gave them children. How long did it take Satan to begin to attack that home? God's plan, what God put together. Not very long, did it? He came, he came immediately as a serpent and started doing what? Bringing division within the home. Bringing division within the home. Trying to destroy the nuclear family. We, we have a country that was built on the foundation and the principles of the Word of God, including and, and beginning with, number one, knowing Christ as Savior, but then the nuclear family. The husband, the wife, raising children. Who would have thought that there would be elected officials in our day and age and that there would be an all-out, I mean, people not ashamed to say that we we don't think that's good. We want to destroy that. Uh, Back in the, what was it, back in the 50s and 60s when they started to actually incentivize uh, the destruction of the nuclear family. And then they turn around and try to complain about the results of that. They want to have it both ways. But what I'm just simply trying to say is this, that if the foundations be destroyed, Psalm 11 verse 3, what can the righteous do? Satan has been attacking the foundations of God, country. He's been standing in the way of what God's been trying to do. And all I'm trying to say to you today is that I believe that you would have a hard time arguing against me that God didn't have His hand in helping establish this country. Not a perfect country, because this country is made up of people. And this country has been led by people. Therefore, it has not been perfect. But in 1630, going all the way back, 1630, John Winthrop upon his arrival to America, delivered a sermon upon the flagship, the the Arabella. And he called it a model of Christian charity. And here's what he said in his sermon. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. Quoting from Matthew 5. The eyes of all people are upon us. "...so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause Him to withdraw His present help from us, we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses." John Winthrop said, we are setting out to establish something. We got a goal to fulfill Matthew 5. We want this place to be a city on a hill. I think about William Bradford, the the, the, the governor there, in 1620, uh, not not long after the whole Mayflower. He says this, last and not least, they cherished a great hope and inward zeal of laying good foundations. What are these good foundations? Bradford said about those pilgrims that came over. He said this, For the propagation and advance of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ into the remote parts of the world. For many of us, Uh, We think back when we hear the phrase, we shall be as a city upon a hill, that makes many of us think of President Ronald Reagan. Beginning in the 70s, he made that quote from the the Lord Jesus Christ, he put that in the the center of his political career because he believed that America was and should be a city upon a hill. Reagan built a powerful articulation of what we call American exceptionalism. And what that simply is, is this. The idea, as he explained, that there was some divine plan that placed this great continent between two oceans to be sought out by those who were possessed of an abiding love of freedom and a special kind of courage. He went on to say this and just emphasize, Reagan said, America is a shining city upon a hill whose beacon, light, guides freedom, loving people everywhere. And so on this, the birth of our great nation, I wish to acknowledge a nation that set out to be and became known as a city upon the, a hill. And what I want to encourage you about as well, I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, But when it comes to many of the things that are being said, I say this to the young people, but it's not just to the young people, it's to each of us, that we need to make sure that the things we're hearing, we need to make sure that we don't just regurgitate things that other people have said. You know, I mean, and and I'm thinking specifically about America, about the negativity of the things that people say about the founders, the founding of our country, our founding documents. There's things that can be said negative about our country that I would agree with. Don't misunderstand me. But as far as the intent of our founders and as far as our founding documents, I'll look at it this way. What what would it look like if every church followed what the Bible teaches uh, line for line? What kind of people would that be in the community? What kind of churches would that be? Now let's back up a second and say, how many churches in the world actually represent that today? Not a whole lot. That's one of the reasons people think Christianity is a fraud uh, and a fake and, uh, and, and so forth and, and hate God and hate religion because of that. But it's not because of the Bible. It's because there's people that are ignoring the Bible. And what I'm just trying to submit to you here, you mark this down. The problems with our country are not the founding documents or the founders. The problem with our country is the fact that people have ignored it and tried to change it. The treatment of the slaves, civil rights, all of those things. Uh, listen, those were all uh, done not because people were following the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, but it's because they were ignoring that and trying to change that. Psalm 33, verse 12 says this Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. America was founded predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly on Christian principles. This is interesting. A number of years ago, two professors from the University of Houston, Charles Lineman and Donald Luntz, completed a 10-year study including over 15,000 documents of whom our founding fathers quoted the most. Because there's an interesting thing. People that are my age, they remember when people, they remembered when it was actually cool to love our founding fathers and to love our country back, what, 20 years ago or so? We remember that. But what they were trying to, the, the leftists were trying to say then was that they were all encouraged by the Enlightenment. It wasn't Scripture. It wasn't this. They were they were inspired by these, you know, anti-God Frenchman philosophers and so forth. So, but these, uh, Charles Linneman and Donald Luntz, they studied for ten years, fifteen over fifteen thousand of the founding fathers' documents, including correspondence, because they said, "Let's see what these guys were really about." And they found out something very interesting. They found out that the it, uh, among those fifteen thousand plus documents, on whom our founding fathers quoted the most, that one. Third, think about this, one-third of the founders' quotes. This is in personal correspondence. This is in speeches. It's in writings. One-third of everything they said came out of this book right here. One-third. I mean, that's a lot. One-third of everything they said came out of the Bible. Another 60% came from writers who based their writings on the Bible the founders quoted the Bible more than all the Enlightenment authors combined. Now, based on this evidence, I believe this was a 1982 article in Newsweek, and I said Newsweek, not Newsmax, because listen to what it says. The, the, The article was, How the Bible Made America. He concluded that now historians are discovering that the Bible even perhaps more than the Constitution, is our founding document. No wonder the Declaration of Independence begins in the preamble. It says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, if you would have been in school learning history, uh, maybe right into the early 1900s, and I'm looking around, I don't think anybody uh, fits into that category that was in school, say, in 1915 in here. But if you were in school up to that point, you you would have learned about a broad array of founding fathers. You would have learned about the preachers. You would have learned about the Christians. You would have learned about many of these. But By the time many of us begin to learn about history, two of the ones that we started learning about especially are Benjamin Franklin and uh, Thomas Jefferson, which is great. It honestly is. But I believe there was a kind of of a method why it got narrowed down to these two kind of being the stars, and that's because they were self-proclaimed deists. They were self-proclaimed deists, and a deist is simply one, uh, the, the definition is one who believes in the existence of God, but denies revealed religion and follows the light of nature and reason and his only guides, as his only guides in doctrine and practice. So that's the definition of a deist. But uh, they understood the impact that faith in God and the Bible would have on the founding of our country. I don't know if you've ever visited the, uh, the Jefferson Memorial or not, but if you just were to look up the quotes that are found inside of the Jefferson Memorial, man, you could come into church and preach those about any Sunday. Uh, I mean, this was a man that claimed to be a deist. I, I would argue that both from what I read about Franklin and Jefferson both, that they may have not been very good deists. Together, they were getting together, and when there was a discussion about what our national seal should be, the deist, Jefferson and Franklin said, we believe what should be on our national seal is Moses. Following the cloud that represents the presence of Almighty God and the children of Israel following them. That's what they proposed our national seal should be. Uh, Matter of fact, Franklin believed that the Constitutional Congress should pray and ask God for God's intervention every time that they met. And here's what Benjamin Franklin said. He says, I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can or is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without His concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And that was Benjamin Franklin. George Washington said in his uh, first address to the nation, he said it would be, peculiar, it would be peculiarly improper to omit the first in this a first official act. My fervent supplications to that Almighty Being who rules over the universe, who presides in the council of nations, whose providential aids can supply every man, every human defect that his benediction may consecrate consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. And that's uh, George Washington, then President George Washington. John Adams made this statement, now I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and the attributes of God. That's uh, John Adams, our third president. Never, I'm just trying to say this, I could go on and on and I won't, I encourage you to study these things, but uh, and, and, and after the service, I'm going to have a tray. You have that slideshow going again about some of these quotes from the founders. But I'll tell you one thing right now. For most of us, we have grown up in a time to where we believe somehow in this notion, that, that, uh, in a false notion, a twisted notion of the separation of church and state. A phrase that was never used in the, in the context that it's used now until like the 1960s when they took a phrase from Thomas Jefferson that was the whole... And you talk, about the, you talk about the hypocrisy. Taking a phrase that was written from Thomas Jefferson that referred to the Danbury Baptist that was just simply trying to say the government, the state, should not be able to have any uh, uh, influence on the, what the church is doing. Basically what he was saying there. Uh, and and you, can, you can read about all that. But, but, but never, never did the founders mean for God not to be a part of this country. You cannot study. You cannot, with any kind of uh, intelligence whatsoever, make such a statement. That's that's just not so. I mean, it's called the Establishment Clause. You know, the First Amendment to the Constitution, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. The thing that they were trying to prevent was turning back into England the church of England having its official religion a state religion and that your state tax dollars which was actually happening in some of the colonies already there would be state there would be a state church for the colony and your tax money would go uh, you would you would automatically get money taken out of your income to pay the ties to that church whether you agreed with it or not that was actually part of Thomas Jefferson's help there with the Danbury Baptists but the point is just simply this. That's why that was written. Not to keep God out of religion. Not to keep God out of the marketplace. You say, preacher, here I come to church. I don't want to just hear about all this political stuff. I'm not talking political stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is I'm preaching about an ex- what I believe is an example of a people who tried to follow what Jesus preached in Matthew chapter number 5 and fulfilled much of that by following the Word of God for the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't until, again, around the early 1900s that there was an anti-God, and you can study all this, and I encourage you to do so, that there was an anti-God sentiment that began to affect our educational system. That began, I believe, around 1910, 1915. By the 1960s, the Supreme Court began an assault on Christianity in America by, by outlawing certain prayer and Bible reading in schools. They begin to try to outlaw the Ten Commandments. There's an interesting thing here. While the Supreme Court is sitting in the Supreme Court building, outlawing the Ten Commandments just being on the wall of a school or being on government property, if you've ever been to the Supreme Court building, it is chocked full of the Ten Commandments. I'm talking chocked full. I'm talking about there's, there's whole decorative lattices that got like hundreds of little Ten Commandment tablets all over it. Uh, when you go, and, and, and I've had I've had the privilege to go in there where the where, where the State of the Union address is given uh, every uh, year. I've had the privilege to go down and be on the floor there, in the House Chambers. And it's an interesting thing around the around the lining of the of the walls. in there, you've got there, there's lawmakers, famous lawmakers throughout time. And it's all their profiles, and all their profiles, this side they're looking this way, this side they're looking that way, and they look, and they look, and they look, until they get right there about where that TV's at, and the face of Moses is looking dead straight on. They're all looking to Moses, and Moses is looking down on the president, he's looking down on the, what's taking place. I mean, it's amazing that they try to act like that never happened, but it's there right now, it's pretty cool. But around the 1960s, again, is when we, for, for again, for most of our lives, and some of us, all of our lives, But we know that's not what happened. John Quincy Adams, uh, he said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this, that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. And uh, and, and I'm going to have to skip through some of this stuff, but... What, happened, what began to happen in our country when we begin to move, get, move away from the teaching of God and, 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 and our founding and the truth? Uh, well, there's a couple of things that happen. I wish I could read to you some of these interesting things that the court said about the Bible before, but I'm not going to take the time to do that. But there was a man by the name of Bill Bennett, which some of you may know. Bill Bennett, he conducted a study, a 30-year study from 1960 to 1990, just in that time, trying to see, you know, what, was the, what has been the effect? Has it made a difference that we've taken prayer and God out of schools. By the way, it was interesting. I believe it was a 1980 case the Supreme Court tried in Kentucky. There was a a private uh, organization that just donated some Ten Commandment monuments to the schools of Kentucky, but one of the Supreme Court justices read and said, basically, I'll just say it in shorthand, well, man, it would be a shame. We just don't want the kids to walk the halls because if they read those, they might actually begin to incorporate them into their lives. Wouldn't that be awful? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, just write down the list. Thou shalt not covet. But in the 30 years, Bill Bennett did this study, uh, or the study of the 30 years, uh, there was a 419% increase in illegitimate births. 419% increase. In illegitimate births. There was a quadruple in divorce rates. 200% increase in teen suicide. I'd hate to see what that is today. A 560% increase in violent crimes. Remember what? the Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's coming to cause division. He's coming to cause destruction. And these people are telling us that's the way we need to go. We, they, they honestly, they, they want to see more homes destroyed. They want to see more lawlessness. They want to defund the police. There's, there's elected officials that are talking this stuff. Why? Because people have turned their backs on God. And it's all, it's all the working of the evil one. One of the most difficult realities, I'll say this, that we're facing today. One of the diff- difficult challenges, I, I alluded to it earlier... Is the dark, dark mark on our nation's history involving slavery and civil rights? Now, again, I'm not going to be able to. I won't take the time to go deeply into this. I actually preached a message about it or taught a lesson about it in Sunday school. Um, I believe last year about slavery and. But man, if you for one thing, slavery was a human condition, has been since just about since there's been people. Uh, America's. Slavery, and it doesn't justify it, but if people people would almost think that America invented it. or are the only ones that are guilty of it. But I'm telling you, it was just a condition of the world. And it's because of America that it began to be broken. Because of our documents, because of our founders, because of our founders that were setting out to end it. And I understand there's a lot of paradoxes there for us that live in this time. How could a man own slaves and be against slavery? Well, for one thing, for, those, for the colonists, it was absolutely against the law to, uh, set, to set any free, slaves free if you had any. There's, there's a lot of, there's, there's caveats involved. Some of those things involved aren't as cut and dry, but I'll say this quickly. There's no doubt that that's a shame upon our country. I mean, there's just no getting around that. Um, when we think about this... Um, but it was the principles on which our country was founded that was able to bring an end to slavery. I think about the... uh, I have somewhere in my notes, and I've moved them around here, but uh, there's there's some interesting things. When you read the quotes, for instance, of Frederick Douglass, it was Frederick Douglass who said that it was through the Constitution that the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were anti-slavery documents. And that's why Frederick Douglass embraced, he was, an escape, he was a, a freed slave, he supported the Constitution and the founding documents of our country because he said that they were anti-slavery documents. Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous uh, I Have a Dream speech, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, he uh, stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and what did he say? He, uh, a part of his speech was, I have come in a sense to cash a promissory note that was written by our founding fathers that all men are created equal under God. In other words, one of the motivations for the civil rights movement under Martin Luther King Jr. was we want to claim what was given to us in the Constitution by our founders, by the founding of this country. We are coming to claim that. Ironically, even Barack Obama, I believe in his uh, first inauguration, uh, or maybe it was in his acceptance speech, but he had mentioned being a fulfillment of that dream, which again was the fulfillment of the Constitution, of our documents. These aren't racist documents. These are freeing documents that are based on the Word of God. And that's why uh, I I like what, uh, you know, among the different uh, founders, there's many things that could be said. But the one thing I guess I'll try to close with this morning is I'll try to close with going back to Matthew chapter number 5. And as we look here in verse number 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? I want to close with a very practical application because I want, I want to respect and thank God for this country. But what do we do now? What do we do at this time in our lives? What do we do when the foundations are being, being attacked and destroyed? What, what can the righteous do? I'll tell you what we need to do by the grace of God. We need to continue to be salt and we need to continue to be light. You know what salt does? Salt there speaks of preservation. Salt is something that is not able to make, take something that's rotten and make it better, but salt is something that is supposed to keep something for, for rottenness from spreading, putrefication from spreading. That's what salt does. That's what we are. Jesus said, be salt in the world. Be salt among those around you. See, there's, there's a reason that... Really, what we need to understand is that the attacks, when we think about, you know, you say, oh, Phil, you know, if you think this is some kind of political message, you've got me wrong. Uh, Because what I'm just simply trying to say is, I believe that the attacks against the principles of this book go back to be an attack against God and against God's people and against God's principles. Do you remember what the Bible says in Psalm 2? In Psalm 2, the Bible is talking about the last days. It's actually talking about Armageddon. So really the last days. But it's talking about getting up to the last days and the cry from those in the culture is let us cut their bands asunder. Let us cut these cords. Let us cut these bands. What they're saying is these godly people, these people of salt are stopping the spread of our corruption. These people of salt are stopping the spread of the destruction of homes and families. We need to put an end to that. What's wrong with people? The, these people of salt and light, they are, they're, they're standing in the way. They're stopping our, our, our progression of decay and mold and putrefication of killing the unborn. Of the law that was just passed in North Carolina, my home state to where I believe it was Roy Cooper, I believe he signed it into law, but it was the thing that would give people the ability to kill their child, their, their baby in the womb, if that baby has Down syndrome. They need to get us out of the way, because why, how, we're trying to stop all this. Yes, we are. We are to be sought. We are to stand, and as corruption tries to spread, we want to stop it. But Jesus didn't just say, He said, You're the salt of the world, yeah, the salt of the earth. He said, You're the light of the world, the, the earth and the world. The light speaks of something different. The light speaks, the salt speaks in a moral sense, the light speaks in a spiritual sense. Because let me say something very clearly. Our number one objective, it was talked about in Sunday school for those that were here, that our number one objective needs to be getting people to Christ. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, well, what's all this America stuff matter then if it's about reaching people for Christ? Because this country was made and to help reach people for Christ. And the more we can preserve that, the more opportunities we will have within the law to reach people for Christ. Now, when it becomes outlawed, we'll do it outlaw style. Amen? But until then, we, will, there's no, we don't just back off. See, they want us just to back up into these four corners, these four walls, And just say, well, we'll just come in here and keep to ourselves. No! Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We are to make a difference in our world. And the greatest difference that we can make is by being the light of the world. By holding forth the word of life. By showing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main objective because I'm telling you, if you were able to save this country and, not, and your soul not be saved, I say all would be lost. Because this country, as much as I love it, it is temporal. And it will one day come to an end. We'll fight until it does. But one thing that's never going to cease to exist is your soul. And the souls of those around us. And folks, that's about one of the big reasons when I when I enter into this, these things and begin to talk about this, I'm not interested so much in winning an argument. I'm interested in winning souls. We, you, I, I encourage you to study, to arm yourself with this. Young folks, how many of you kids like being smart, Alex? How many of you adults like being smart, Alex? How many of you preachers like being smart, Alex? Okay. We need to learn, but it's not just for the case of being a smart aleck, okay? It's not just for the sake, teens, for being able to show up your liberal teacher or something. And it's not just to show up our liberal friends. We need to be armed with truth, but may may at the heart of what we're doing be to try to win them to Christ, Amen? amen? To try to appeal to them, to try to reach them. Ye are the light of the world. This world's getting dark, isn't it? It's increasingly growing hostile toward Christianity. But you know what Jesus said? He said, don't hide your light under a bushel basket. In Luke, He said, don't hide it under your bed. See, the basket speaks of our labor. The bed speaks of our leisure. Don't let your light be hidden in this day under your work. That we're too busy to get the gospel out. We're too busy to do something for God. We're too busy to win a soul to Christ, to, to disciple a soul that we've led to Christ. Or we're too leisurely. Our light's hidden under a bed. No. Hey, you say, Preacher, it's awfully dark. Have you ever seen what a little light does in a dark room? Be a light. Show somebody Christ. And I've got to say this to you today. If you do not know Christ as Savior, and I'm glad I can say this in the spirit of July 4th on America's birthday, come to Christ. Amen. The reason I'm able to stand here today and say this without fear of reprecation. Reprecation. Reprecation? Anyway. thing I hate about going live is that I can't edit that part. But I can stand here today and proclaim to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what this country was founded on. But I ask you today, if you don't know Christ, would you come to Him today? He said, oh, preacher, I'm, I'm a religious person. I, of course, I, I know Christ. I was baptized. Well, you know, being baptized is wonderful, but that's not salvation. I believe in God. So does Satan. So do the devils, the demons of hell. That doesn't say, have you personally accepted the gift of eternal life? Have you turned to Christ? If you haven't come to Christ today, experience real liberty. Experience real freedom. Because that's the freedom that inspired this country, but it's a freedom that you can only have through Christ. Let's all stand this morning. As Miss Sonia comes, I don't know the need on your heart today, but if you don't know Christ, I invite you to come to Him today as she plays. Child of God, may I encourage you, be salt, be the light, stand morally, Stand spiritually. You know like Jonas Clark? That pastor we started off with? I want to ring the bell this morning. And I want to stand right here in front of this church. And I want to say, just like Jonas Clark, who will stand with me? Who will fight with me? John Hancock and Samuel Adams said, will they come? He said, they, they've been taught in scriptural principles of liberty, they'll be there to stand. They'll be there to give their lives for this cause of freedom. May we give our lives for that. May we give our lives for the greater freedom of souls. And if you're not saved today, would you please come to Him? Why she plays this morning. Would you mind coming, please?